We are in a series uh, that we've titled The Radical Teachings of Jesus. Would you turn to that person next to you and say radical? Come on, say it again because you want to hear it roll off your tongue. Radical. Yes, it's an 80s term. We used it back in the 80s for everything. And uh, our key scripture for this series was based out of John chapter 8, verse 31. So let me set the premise of why we even are doing this series. In John chapter 8, verse 31, it says, If you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Now, there's a paraphrase version called the Passion Translation, and it paraphrases that like this. It says, when you continue to embrace all that I teach, you prove that you are my true followers. So it's with that. Now, how can I be a true follower of Jesus um, if I don't follow his teachings? That's what he's telling me. You're really mine if you follow and obey my teachings. Well, i got to know his teachings. And so what we did with this series was we jumped in just to look at some of his core teachings. And, and I don't know about you, but I get frustrated sometimes when, I, when, when people tell me they're a Christian. And I'm like, man, if that's a Christian, I don't want to be one. You know what I'm saying? It's like, so what is a Christian? Well, Jesus qualifies it right here in John 8 when he says, listen, you're really, my, you're really mine. You're really a Christian if you obey my teachings. I don't know about you, but that's been real hard for me at times. Especially when I came to that one that says, and love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. Well, my neighbor has stole from me in the past. I'm like, I don't love them. I want them to burn. I'm trying to catch them suckers. I'm putting cameras out there back where we came from in Louisiana. And so we all have these moments with his teachings that we have to actually go through them, work things out, change who we are to be like Jesus. And Jesus literally, as he's teaching us, what he's teaching us about this whole, if you obey my teachings, as you and I begin to emulate Jesus, we'll start, we'll start doing what he did as we start trying to understand him. And so, you know, I gave this illustration in our first part of the series. You know, I, I've seen these Elvis personators. We, we went to Vegas not so long ago to go see the Grand Canyon. We went through Vegas. And these Elvis personators, they look like him. It's crazy. And the other thing they do, they kind of sound like him. And I think, think wow, how does that? And I asked the guy, how, do you, how did you get it? He goes, man, I have read everything about him. I've watched everything. I've listened to everything. I'm emulating. That's what being a Christian is. Looking at everything you can find about Jesus, studying Jesus, emulating Jesus, that's what a Christian really is all about. So we went through some of his radical teachings where he said, you know, love your enemies, pray for those who despitefully use you. Last week, one of my spiritual sons, Pastor Keith Brown, if you weren't here, you need to go back and listen to that. He taught us on that teaching where Jesus talks about we can have peace. No matter what's going on around us, no matter how bad politics or the world or whatever it may be, that we as believers can have peace in the midst of trial, tribulation, and pain because this is one of his key components of who Jesus is. He can bring peace in the midst of pain. And today, we're going to look at this one passage and actually study uh, what we're calling here today uh, in, this, uh, in this part, in, no, in part number four, dealing with sin. Now, how many sinners saved by grace do I have in the room? Sinners saved by grace. Come on, those who aren't raising their hand, you are really a sinner because you're lying. Come on, we're all sinners saved by grace. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 qualifies that when it says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're all sinners saved by grace. It's all because of God's goodness, but we're all sinners failing forward, if you will, as some have said. Matthew chapter 5 is going to be our key passage. So go ahead, open your Bible to that. We're going to study this a little bit. Turn on your Bible, digital, or, uh, or you can watch on the screen if you didn't bring your Bible today. Now, as we go through this teaching today, I want you to have your phone ready or your notepad, whichever one you're using, and I want you, as God speaks to you, to write down some things. I want, he's going to reveal to you and me today some of the things that we've allowed to continue in our life, some sin that we've allowed to continue forward. And by the end of this today, you and I will come out of this place stronger and better as we identify Jesus talking about sin and what we can change and how he can change in our lives. So let's go straight to Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. He said like this, you have heard it said, 
you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Verse 29, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out. What the what? And throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Verse 30, and if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go to hell. I'm going to break this down in just a little bit so we don't end up as pirates with a bunch of gouged out eyes with patches. And so Jesus starts with this whole thing when he opens up this line of communication. He says, you shall not, you've heard it said you shall not commit adultery. Now you've got to understand, Jesus is he's sitting on a mountainside. He's, got all, he's, he's picked all his disciples and, and, and apostles, they're, they're following, and then all these other people are following. So Jesus is a Jew speaking to Jews. Now every little Jewish boy and girl, the moment that they were born, what they were done, they, were lear- they learned to read and write by memorizing the Torah, by going through the scriptures, if you will. The first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So they, that's how they've actually been raised up. And, but most of them have it memorized, which is a lot of books of the Bible. Some of you have, the only scripture you have mem- memorized is Jesus well. These guys, from, from the moment they were a child... They were, they were memorizing the first five books of the Bible. And, in, in the, in, and then when they translated it into the Greek, they call it the Pentateuch, and these five books. And so in that is the law of Moses, uh, the story of creation. You've got, you've got uh, the Ten Commandments. So when Jesus opens up this line of communication and he says, thou shall not commit adultery, their brains as Jewish boys and girls are immediately brought to the Ten Commandments because as he speaks this, he's using the same verbiage of each of the Ten Commandments. And he's actually somewhat quoting the 10th commandment, which is thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife or anything else he has. So Jesus drops all the way down to number 10 and he goes right for it, right in one place. And he says, thou shalt not. What he does is when he does this, it's almost like if I were to say, oh, say, see, See, there you go. So what I did was I opened up your brain. By just a little opening statement to something that you already know all about. In fact, for some of you, the moment that you, you heard me say that, you, you, you felt like you should, you, you know, you didn't know what to do all of a sudden. You know, what, what do I do? Why? Because that song has meaning to us. Every Jewish boy and girl, the moment they hear, thou shall not, they're immediately brought to the Ten Commandments. Jesus, so Jesus isn't just, he's not just honing in on sexual perversion. He's speaking about sin in general. And he starts it out by going to the number 10th one, which would, in their mind, be inclusive of all the other sins that are what it is to be right. And what I love about what Jesus does in this moment is he goes straight to the heart of it. And he says, so if your eye offends you, gouge it out. If your hand, cut it off. Now, let me just help you real quick. Jesus didn't call us to do this, to take this literal. But he did call us to take it serious. He's not asking us to take this literally. He's asking us to take this seriously. And, and the reason that is is because you say, well, how do you know, Pastor? Because I don't know, man. You've got to take the Bible. Well, if that's the case, then how come those disciples aren't walking around gouging out their eyes? No one in the New Testament church, no, there's not a big stack of, of left and right hands thrown in a big pile in the New Testament church up at the front altar. There's not a bunch of eyeballs. And the reason why is because everyone from the very beginning standing there with him to the moment of, of those reading this years after the fact... All of them knew that Jesus was not talking literal, but he was trying to be serious. He's wanting us to take sin serious. So he uses verbiage, radical verbiage. Gouge it out. Cut off your hand. But then he qualifies what he's really talking about when he says this. Because if you commit adultery, 
with her by looking at her lustfully. You've already done that in your heart. See, sin is not about good and bad. It's about your heart. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to flip this whole thing upside down. Because the teachers of his day, they took the Ten Commandments, they took the, the Law of Moses, and they taught, them, uh, they taught them what to do and what not to do. So they were, and when it came to adultery, they had all these rules. Okay, you can go with this woman that's not your wife. You can make out, and uh, just as long as you don't consummate, then it's not, then it's not adultery. Okay, you can get right up to here, but if she, if she gets caught and you don't get caught, then she gets to be stoned, but you don't have to be stoned. I, it, it's kind of like, you know, what we do all the time. You know, I did not have sex with that woman. So what you've got is this whole, you got this whole thing that Jesus says, oh, 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 no, sir, no, sir, no, sir. It's not about the action. It's about the heart. He said, you've got that in your heart, and there's no way you can stop the action until you stop what's in the heart. See, the action is the result of what's inside of our heart. What does the Bible say? He says, it's what's on the inside that makes a man unclean, not what's on the outside. And you and I have to deal with this heart issue, and Jesus is so concerned about it that he he uses really strong verbiage to wake us up. Because here's the approach that most people take with sin, where most of us are passive. Or most passive would say, well, you know, I just, hallelujah, praise the Lord, I grace, on top of grace, 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 grace. And Jesus said, hey, listen, I need you to go past that and stop worrying about good or bad or, or, or doing this or not doing that. And what I need you to do is get your heart right. Because if a man's already, he's already done it. He's already committed that because in his heart, that's what he wants. And I have come to set you free from this sin. And so Jesus is using this real strong verbiage. And when he does, can, I mean, can you imagine? Everybody's like, aren't you the love God? I mean, how can you be so sweet and so nice and so kind and then talk about cutting off hands and gouging out eyes? And I'll tell you why. I, I, years ago, I had this couple that uh, was in our church, and, and they, uh, uh, they had a three-year-old, and they were of the mindset that spanking that child was archaic and uh, was a bar- barbaric. And so uh, we had gone over to their house for something, dinner or something, talked to them. And then, like, good Cajun people, you know, when we went to leave, I don't know how y'all do it at your, your place, but, but good Cajun people, you know, we'll start, it, it'll, take you, it'll take you an hour and a half to actually leave. You know, we'll start, hey, we're going to go, all right, come on. And then we'll stand in the doorway and talk for a little bit. And then we'll get outside around the car and we'll talk for a little bit. And so we're talking, saying goodbyes and all that around the car. And this three-year-old of theirs kept running out in the street. And, and, you know, I love this little millennial approach that little mama had. She was like, now, Johnny, don't go out in the street now. I'm going to have to put you in time out. Now, come on, let's reason. Now, if you go out in the street, what might what happen? A car might come by, and little Johnny's like, yeah! And I'm sitting there going, I can fix this. I can fix this. Just give me a second. I can fix it. I bet little Johnny won't do I bet I won't have to tell him twice. And he's just, ah! And he's running in and out of the street, and we're talking. Finally, she, he, he kind of got away from her, and she's got her back turned. And little Johnny went out in the street again, but this time there's a car coming. And the guy sees this little three-year-old at the last second. He's trying to, and the mom's wigging out. She's running for him, and she grabs him. The car comes to a stop, almost killing this little kid. And she grabs that kid. Before she knew what she did, you know what she did? What, what, what? Tell you not to go out in the street. And I'm looking at her like, mm-hmm. You know why? Because there's a truth. And that truth is that real love is protective. What Jesus is doing, he's not, he don't want us to cut off our hands and gouge out our eyes. He's saying like that, Mama, hey, sin will kill you. Because he understands Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death. 
buddy, if you keep going in that street, you're going to get killed. So I'm going to spank your butt. So you say, the street, oh, wait, I remember. Wait a minute. No, 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 no. Yeah, no, no, obedience is better. And that's what Jesus is trying to say. He says, listen, whatever you have to do, be aggressive to keep sin from dominating your life. Because the end there is, the end there of is death. There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end of it, the end of sin is death. And Jesus is so passionate about it, so he uses this strong verbiage. In fact, the word sin in the New Testament, the Greek word for it, is the Greek word hamartia. Hamartia actually means to miss the mark. It means miss the mark. So you've got to understand the God that we serve is creator of all humanity. And so God who created us, he also set the moral law and the moral code for humanity. Hammurabi didn't do it. It was already in existence. God himself set what is right and what is wrong. So God created the standard of what is sin and what is holy. God, God established it. So in your, in your inner being, you already know that because you're a creature of God. You already know that molesting a child is wrong. Something about that's wrong. Even if you didn't grow up in a Christian home, you would know that there's something in you because God created that. So sin is to miss the mark. So I thought today that I would get a little illustration to help you see. Josiah, would you come help me be, be my little... Hey, would you bring this... Uh, Put that on your head. Stand right there. So I'm going to show you what missing the mark looks like. And uh, hey, would you bring me? Uh, yeah, hold that up right there. You think you can get it? Like, can you hold it steady right there? I think we can do that. You got something for me? Yeah, bring me that real quick. I want to. So missing the mark. So I'm going to show you what missing the mark looks like. Hold still, Josiah. Don't move, okay? So missing the mark. If, if the apple is the mark. That I'm, that I'm aiming for, then this is what it'll look like. I'm just kidding. Y'all thought I was going to shoot a real bow and arrow in this church. Something wrong with y'all. Give me, give me my other one real quick. So missing the mark, if, if God says this is right, so put the apple back. This is right. This is what we're aiming for. Then missing the mark would be sin. So if I miss it, and that's what I'm aiming for, I miss it, that's what sin really is. So I got me a better bow and arrow. This time it won't kill him, but it might just wound me not mortally, but a little bit, okay? So this is what our Christian walk should look like. If that apple, if you will, is the mark that we're trying to hit, put that in front of your face so I don't blind you forever. There you go. So here we go. Okay, missed it. All right, doggone it. Doggone it, I'm missing the mark. Let me try again. This time I think I can get it. Come on, I think I got this as soon as I figure out how to work these kids' toys. All right, here we go. All right, this one I got. All right, here we go. I got this. I got this. Oh, I'm so close! All right, I'm going to try one more. Come on. One more, one more. All right, I got this one. Here we go, here we go. Let me get a little closer. <laughs> yes! Okay, stay right here before we just say. Okay, so here's what Christianity really looks like. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're all, we're all saying, Lord, I love you. Man, that guy ticked me off and we missed the mark. Lord, I do love you, and I do want to serve you, but man, I'm still struggling with perversion, and I'm missing it. But here's the thing you've got to understand, and this is where guilt and shame should be nullified in your life. Because we've come to Christ, Adam and Cain and his old ways are passed away, and everything has become new. So here's the deal. I'm living my life serving God. I'm not living in sin anymore. And here's the thing I want you to get. There's a difference in being sin prone and sin committed. I'll say it, let it sink. There it goes, there it goes, boom. Sin committed is what I used to be. I wouldn't even shoot at that target. I can care, fly, and flip. 
I ain't trying to live for God, I'm living for me. I'm not even trying to live right. I don't even care if I miss or not. <laughs> I don't care a flying flip. I am sin committed. I'm going to drink what I want to drink. I'm going to smoke what I want to smoke. I'm going I'm to have sex with who I want to have sex. I'm going to do what I want to do. Nobody can tell. Then we come to Christ. We say, God, my life is yours. My life is yours. And that old man is gone, and now I'm new because I've given myself to Christ. Now, guess what happens? I am sin prone, but I'm not sin committed anymore. You're going to stumble. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to miss the target. You're gonna, but here's the difference. I meet people all the time. So I tried to be a Christian. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. Couldn't do what? I just couldn't hit, I just couldn't hit the mark. And I would ask them, that's because you're trying to do that in your own strength. What God's done for me, what he should have done for you, is giving you such a confidence. You know what? I may not be perfect, but I'm forgiven. I may make mistakes, but I'm still going to get up and I'm going to keep serving Jesus the best I can. I'm going to keep shooting until I hit it. I'm going to keep shooting. And that's the problem. Some of us, you got to understand, I don't, hit, I don't miss as much as I used to because I've been shooting a lot. I keep going at it. And so what I find is people are like, I can't do it. I miss. I quit. I'm going back to my old ways. And this is where Jesus is warning you, listen to me. Don't do that. Stay in the game. Stay in the process. Stay, listen, whatever it takes, don't let that sin bring you back in. Keep shooting at it. Keep hitting at the mark till you get it. And, it's, and once, what happens is once you overcome that anger, one time where you went, I bless you in Jesus' name. People are like, look what it feels like to hit it. Yes! But you're going to have all this all over the board, missing it all over the place. But now all of a sudden you start getting a little bit of confidence. Okay, okay, yeah. Yeah, all right, I am forgiven. Yes, I may not be perfect, but I'm not living in sin. I'm actually living for Jesus, which means, listen, before I was a Christian, I didn't care if I wouldn't try. Why would I try not to sin? I enjoyed my sin. It was fun. But then once the Bible taught me that this, that the end thereof is death. It's destruction to me. And Jesus, loving us so much, says, listen, whatever you have to do, remove the sin. Whatever you have to do to keep sin from destroying you, this is how I would challenge you to live. Some of us, yeah, we hadn't hit the target very well. But I would teach you, keep swinging for the fence. Yeah. Keep shooting at the enemy. Keep going forward. And then what will happen is, I don't lie like I used to. I used to do a lot of lying. The reason why I would lie is because I, would, well, I want something. And so I manipulate you to get what I want. And I tell a half truth just so I can get, I don't do that as much anymore. Because I've gotten pretty good at hitting the mark now. I've gotten pretty good of hitting it and not missing the mark. And so you and I need to just embrace the fact, you know what? I may not be in real, doing real well in that right now, but I'm forgiven. I may not be perfect, but I, am, I do belong to Jesus. You know what? I may miss it a few times, and it may miss it a few times this week, a few times today. But I'm not quitting on my relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't get, God didn't give us a standard thinking that we would never, ever, ever, ever miss it. That's why he sent his son Jesus to give us grace and mercy. And what this thing should really look like, it should look like this. God, I can't hit this. I am so struggling with anger. I am so struggling with porn. I am so struggling with cheating on my spouse, whatever. I need you to help me. And what happens, the Holy Spirit comes alongside. He takes the bow and he starts hitting it every time. And we're standing there going, that's how you live. That's why you and I have to live filled with the Holy Spirit, letting the Holy Spirit give us strength to overcome what we can't overcome ourselves. I love all these self-help uh, things that you study and you read and all the little YouTube videos you work. But if you could have helped yourself, you wouldn't have needed Jesus. 
If you could have fixed it yourself, you wouldn't need his Holy Spirit living and abiding in you. I couldn't be good. The Ten Commandments, I could not live out the Ten Commandments or the law or the Torah. That's why Jesus had to come, be the pattern, and then fill me with his Holy Spirit so I could overcome my own sin habits. Would you give Josiah a hand? Thanks so much, bro. Appreciate it. Let me take that with you. So let me teach you now, if you will, three ways to kill sin. Write these down. I'm going to use three R's. It'll be real fun. Three ways to kill sin. I'll put them in uh, three R words so that you can remember. Number one, you have to reveal. You have to reveal. John chapter 1, 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 and 10 through 10 says it like this. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. That's why I said everyone who didn't raise their hand, you lie, you got to repent. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. So, so I don't understand why we as Christians think that we have to hide our sin. We have to pretend like we're not sinners. This church is a place where you can just be honest with yourself and with each other. The reason why I don't, I, I purposefully am way too authentic. My wife was like, I can't believe you said that. I cannot believe you said that. The reason why is because I'm creating the culture that we can be who we are with all of our warts, with all of our failures, with all of our sinfulness, and love Jesus and fail forward. That's the church that you're in today. Amen. That we're not perfect. We're all sinners saved by grace. But the more you hide your sin the more it has the power to continue growing. Here's a little statement for you. Anything that stays in darkness gets its power from the prince of darkness. Wow. What did Jesus say? I am the light. I am the light of the world. When you and I hide and pretend like we had that together, you've you got to understand, there are two characters that come alongside sin. Two characters. Number one, guilt. Number two, pollutant. You hiding your sin? You think that we don't see it? We smell you, bro. We're like, that ain't me. Oh, it's him. Oh, golly. Phew. It's amazing. It's amazing while, while hiding it, you think that, you know, every, and, and what that creates is a falsehood. That's what Jesus was dealing with when his time. The religious leaders of his day, they were, they were hypocrites. He said, you're like whitewashed tombs. Everything on the inside is dead and nasty, rotting flesh. And then you paint the outside to make it look good. He said, oh, if you can only be real and authentic and say, yeah, I'm still struggling with that. Yeah, I still have selfish ambition. Yeah, I just need to reveal that to, to you, Lord, and to myself and to my the Christian friends around me. But we hide that stuff. And as a result of hiding it, it's destructive and, and it'll, kill you, it'll kill you. I had a, my great-grandmother. She was so cool. And my great-grandmother, uh, she wouldn't go to the doctor. The reason why she wouldn't go to the doctor is because she had this concept. If I go to the doctor, they're going to find something wrong with me. So when we did make her go to the doctor, she wouldn't tell him the truth. How you feeling? I'm fine. <laughs> I'm like, girl, come on. You are not fine. And, and, and that's what some of you do. When we, when we come to church, we think we have to act like it's all fine. Are you kidding me? What is wrong with us? What a lie that the enemy has trapped us in. Is that we have to pretend to be something that we're not. Guys, we're all just sinners saved by grace. You know what? Yeah, you may be prone to sin. You may keep going back to some of that old sin, but you're not living in it anymore. You're not committed to it anymore. 
Yes, you may still struggle with perversion, but you're not a pervert anymore. Yes, you may still be angry a little bit, but you're, you're not a ruthless, angry dad anymore. You, yeah, you, you may struggle every now and then, throw out a curse word here and there, but, but you're not a guy who sits around cursing everybody anymore. God is changing you, and the process is happening, and you're getting closer and closer and hitting that thing more and more times, and then you're not the person you used to be. And you have to embrace the process of growing and maturing and hitting the mark and missing the mark. It's beautiful, and it's wonderful, and until you reveal that and be honest with that, that thing gets down in there in the darkness and it continues to cultivate and it gets wickedness. But when you and I go, ah, I hate this about myself, but I love God. And we reveal it, God says, yes. My middle child is the smartest kid I've ever been around. Let me tell you why. Because anytime she's making a mistake, I'll come in the house, who left the such and such out here on the table? My middle child goes, I'm sorry, dad, it was me, I'm so sorry. I'm like, it's okay, I'll pick it up. It's, it's no big deal. She just, hey, it was me, I'm so sorry. That's what Christianity is supposed to look like. You and I are supposed to be me, God, it's me, I'm so sorry. I don't want to be like this. But instead we're like, well, it wasn't me. Well, I wouldn't have done that, but someone said left it out. and said, it's not my fault. And well, you know, if you would have done this, then I would have done this. And if, God, if you would have done this for me, then I wouldn't have done this. I mean, how do you feel as a parent? Like, oh, okay. Hmm. Whop! There you go. Go play in the street. Anyway, all right. So, hey, watch yourself. Number two. Number one was reveal. Number two, repent. Repent. This is how you kill sin. Repent. Repent means to start working on it. That's what it really means. Repent means to start working on it. Look at Acts chapter 3 and verse 19. Peter is teaching right after the day of Pentecost. He's speaking to all these folks. And he says, listen, repent then. And turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. The times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Man, I just feel burned out. I just feel burned out. Ooh, I bet you got something you hadn't repented of. Because it says, repent and turn to God so that your sins will be wiped out. Do you know why you're burned out? Because sin is cultivating behind the program you got up front. You got this program on the screen, and it all looks pretty. But back behind that is a couple other programs that shouldn't be open. They should have been destroyed. But because you got this hidden sin happening... You're feeling burned out. You're feeling you're unrefreshed. But man, when you repent of sin and you just make it right with the Lord, Lord, I'm so sorry. I repent, and I'm telling you, I'm working on this thing. I'm I'm I on this thing. I recognize this thing is wicked. I'm not going to have it in my life. Times of refreshing come. That's what His Word says. Repent comes from the Greek word meant to Noah, and it means to change my understanding or to change my mind. Repentance is doing whatever it takes to get rid of that sin. That's what real repentance is. John the Baptist said it like this. He said, show fruit unto repentance. You say you're repenting. I mean, have you ever had anybody say, sorry? You're like, dude, you ain't sorry. You sorry, then, then you go call your insurance if you're really sorry. You ain't sorry. You had anybody do that? Or somebody you were dating? And they text you, sorry. Sorry I hurt your feelings. I'm sorry if I did something that hurt your feelings. Like, that ain't sorry. What you need to be is stabbed. That's what needs to happen to you right now. <laughs> Why? Because you won't own it. And that's how we treat God. Sorry. Huh. Grace. I need some grace teaching. Go listen to all the grace teachers. Right. Well, repentance is, Lord, not only did I do it, not only did my heart enjoy it, I don't like that part of my heart. Lord, I need you to help, I need you to help me. I can't do it in my own strength. I keep missing the mark. Lord, I repent. Lord God, and whatever I need to do, that means if I need to get off of at social media for a little bit, I'm going to get off social media. If that means, that means I'm going to just, my wife is going to have an app where she knows where I'm at all times of the day. I will never, ever, ever call that woman again. If that means I've got to expose all my extra Facebook accounts that I have that nobody knows about, then I'm going to cancel those. 
If that means I'm going to go sit down with my boss and say, now listen, I have done some things in the past with this company. I've taken some things home that weren't mine. And uh, I want to start paying restitution for that. And I just, I don't want to be like that anymore. See, that's what repentance looks like. It's working it out. It's moving forward in it. It means walk away from it. I told you years ago, I got this young man, got saved, a bunch of them, a bunch of little thug, little, little white thug dudes, and one, you know, thought they were a little thug life. And uh, one of them, his name was Big Mike, and Big Mike was big. And uh, that's why we called him Big Mike. And, uh, and they had, one day during, during some type of festival in our city, they were walking past one of the police cars, and the doors were unlocked. And so they dared him, and he opened up the car, got inside, and he stole their scanner, the police scanner. And, uh, and then he got and saved with us, you know, a year later. And uh, he's sitting there, and he's talking to me. He goes, Pastor, I'm, he said, I really did some wicked stuff in my life. I want to make it right with the Lord. I said, what, kind of, what do you mean? He's like, well, right now, like, I got this police scanner that I stole. I was like, oh, you got to bring that back to the police office, uh, to the police department. He's like, no way. I'm like, yeah, that's what repentance means. He's like, oh, 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 oh. I was like, I thought you wanted to repent. I thought you wanted to be right with the Lord. Times of refreshing will come if you'll repent. Make it right. He's like, ah. So I, I told him, he said, do you think they'll, just, they'll do anything to me? I said, they lie, we'll put you in jail. I don't know, you're a thief. But you're not a thief anymore. So let's repent. He said, okay. So, I, so I, he didn't know. I called the police chief who <laughs> actually came to our church. I said, hey, suppose there was a guy. <laughs> suppose. It's gotten saved in our young adult ministry and used to be a thug. I mean, you know these people, the kind of people they are. Um, they're no longer causing havoc in our city. They're actually, uh, they, they maybe are no longer causing havoc. <laughs> I was trying not to give it away. And so he said, just have them bring it by, and I want to sit down with them. So I brought Big Mike. He brought the scanner by. I sat down with the police chief. He was scared to death. He thought for sure he's going to jail. They had grace on him, took the scanner back. When he got back in the car with me, he said, I've never done the right thing before. It feels amazing. I said, that's called repentance. Peter taught us if we would repent, we would experience times of refreshing. The refreshing that you're feeling. And he started going off right with God and to be right with, he, with man that you stole from. He goes, this is the, this is, and he started going off all the drugs he had done. This is better than this drug. He just went off into it kind of stuff. I was like, well, I don't know about that. Here's the third R in uh, killing sin, and that is relationship. So number one, reveal. Number two, repent. Number three, relationship. Can I just say this? No one gets to heaven on their own. We all stand on the shoulders of great men and women of God who've helped us, been there for us. How many times have you been right on the edge, like, forget this, and someone talked you down? And it's a relationship. This whole thing is relationship. James chapter 5, verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. Pray for, confess to one another. Minister to one another. Look what Galatians says. I love this passage of Galatians 6. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin... You who are spiritual should restore him gently. See, this whole engagement of Christianity is supposed to be not just God, but also us, the body of Christ. And you keep trying to live this thing all by yourself and be good and not have any other relationships. That's crazy. Jesus actually calls us his body. And he says that we are all parts of his body. 
You may be a liver, you may be a big toe, you may be an eyelash, but we're all parts. And so if I don't, if you're not engaged with us, if you're not in the body, if you don't have any Christian relationships in this church or in whatever church you go to, then you're not active. And so that's why you feel inactive, because you're not using what you were made to do. You say, man, this church really is missing out on this. That's because you're probably the one that's supposed to be doing it, but you won't engage with us. And that's why we do small group life here. Not because I, I, I found some kind of follow-up program or discipleship program. No, you need Christian friends. You need to plug into the body. And you need people that you can say, hey, listen, man, I'm really struggling. I'm really having a hard time. I mean, I want, my, my, my husband is an idiot, and I'm having the hardest time. And, I, and he's coming to church with me. Man, I'm just really struggling. And then those sisters gather around. They pray for you. They minister to you. And you say, okay, I'm not quitting on the marriage. You need that. I need it. God created us to have that. That's why he calls us parts of a body. And every time a part is missing, every time a part's not engaged, that body suffers. And, and, and so we've got folks that are just opening up their lives saying, okay, let's love one another. And as we do that as a church, what happens is health comes, vitality comes, sin breaks off of you and I. This Galatians 6 is so powerful. Galatians 6, 1 again, brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. So our sin is directly connected to the brothers and sisters in Christ to help us with that sin. Now, when I first read that as a young Christian, I thought it meant this. Brothers, if someone who was caught in sin, I thought it meant if someone got busted. Ha-ha! Gotcha! You little pervert. We got him! We got him! He's sitting over here! No wonder nobody wants to reveal their sin. They're like, oh, go to church. They're going to find out about me. No wonder people don't want to go to church. Why? Because they misappropriate that scripture. That's not what it's saying. Let me help you what it's saying. It's saying this. If a Christian is caught by sin, picture this. You're walking through the woods, and all of a sudden, a giant net falls out of the thing and catches you, and you're all wrapped up in it. That's what this is talking about. It's not, ha-ha! Why? Because the premise is we're all sinners saved by grace. So it's not if you sin, friend, it's when you sin. It's not, it's not, it's not about are we going to make mistakes, are we going to be sinners. No, 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 we're shooting. We're going to get better and better at hitting the mark. But it's not, a, it's not, a, you got to understand this whole thing about sin. That's why it makes no sense to me that we all get scared and we don't repent and we don't, and we don't engage with other brothers and sisters. I need my brothers and sisters. Help, I'm locked up in this stuff. I can't stop. And they pull out, ooh, they pull out that giant buck knife. I got you, boy. <laughs> Starts cutting that thing loose until I'm free. And they're beside me, praying with me, standing with me, quoting scripture to me, having me over at their house and talking to me. And this is how we cut away sin. The brothers and sisters in Christ come around you and say, we got you. We got your back in this. We can do this together. I was in, I got trapped in that a couple years ago. Let me tell you how you get out of it. Let me show you. Look here, lift your head. Leg right there. One time. Okay, now move that. Oh, yeah, there you go. Let's go. And this is the brokenness of the body of Christ. Because we're all scared of getting, getting exposed that we were in sin. We're all sinners saved by grace. This is talking about is getting entangled in sin. Sin got us. And we need each other to help cut that loose. Sin tries to get in there and destroy us. Book of Hebrews says it like this entangled again in sin. Let us not become entangled again in sin. Wooing us back. Reveal. Tell the truth, man. God, I, I want to own it. I'm struggling this area. Repent. It makes no sense to me why people won't repent. I've told you this before. It makes no sense to me. Repentance looks like this to me, as I understand the scripture. Everybody's lined up. On your march, you said go. Oh, I stumbled. Can I try again? Yeah, let's try again. Come on, go back to the beginning. Can you imagine the Olympics? Oh, again. Can we try again? Yeah, come on.
again. That's, every time we fall, we repent. God says, all right, do it again. Come on, let's do it again. We should be like, I love repentance. Repentance is great. It's, it, it's the greatest thing God could ever give us, the opportunity to repent, to go at it again, to, to stand up on our own two feet and say, God, I'm not perfect, but I love you. Yeah, I love you too. Come on, get back on that path. Let's go again. Oh, I got knocked down. That's okay. Get back up. Swing again at the enemy. He's gonna, you're going to hit him this time. That's what repentance looks like. It's a do-over. It's a, a control-all-delete. Oh, my God. If you've never had the spinning wheel of death, or you've never had the hourglass that just sits there on your computer, and then you hit control-all-delete, it reboots and starts, you're like, oh, that's what repentance is for mine in your life. Every time we repent, the Bible says he takes our sin and he throws it as far as the east is to the west. You know how far east is to the west? No matter how far you go east, there's still an east. No matter how far you go west, there's still a west. In other words, it's forever and ever gone. You've got to embrace that. That's the only way you can reveal, repent, and then get in relationship. Would you stand with me all across the room tonight?